Hi everyone, Shay Cormack, your Friday night DM here. I've got a meaty episode for you today. This is an episode about regional gazetteers. Now, uh, as I was learning about um, how to do a hex crawl and learning about some of the tables I would need, um, I definitely learned about the fact that I'd need um, an individual wandering monster table for each of my regions. Um, a wandering monster table that was filled with monsters and NPCs that brought real flavor to the region so that as the players move through different regions, they begin to um, recognize or even anticipate what kind of uh, encounters they'd have in that area. But I wasn't really, I hadn't really figured out a way that I could do, do wandering monsters and some of the other stuff I'd need for fifth edition in a way that would be really elegant and simple. And then one day on Twitter, I saw a post from Mike Mills. And this post is worth looking up in Google on your search engine. If you go to Mike, uh, go to Google and type in Mike Merle's Regional Gazetteer or Region Gazetteer, you're going to find a couple of um, examples of some of his work that is just truly uh, genius as far as I'm concerned and really started me down the path of creating um, Regional Gazetteers for myself and for the use in a hex crawl. I don't think he ever intended uh, these Gazetteers necessarily to be used in a hex crawl, um, but for me, they worked perfectly. So, um, big shout out to Mike Mills, and now I'll tell you a little bit about how I put together a regional gazetteer because I take some of his ideas, um, change them a little bit, and add some of those classic ideas of a hex crawl and BX into the mix as well. So first thing you need with a regional gazetteer is a, a short description about um, what the area is like. Um, just so, something so that when someone's walking through the area, you can tell them. And uh, I thought today, for my example, I would use, use my regional gazetteer for the patchwork greens. And it says in the description, when viewed from one of the few high places, this farmland appears as a patchwork quilt of greens and tans. Humans have small farms dotted around the region, occasionally forming small towns. Historically, goblins lived in these lands. So we've got a really brief description, leaves it really open uh, for the players and for the DM to, to develop things as they go along. Nothing's locked in. The, uh, the next thing that, I've moved, that I have um, in my gazetteer, and sometimes this is all uh, in an order that just makes it uh, all fit on a page nicely. So it's not necessarily an order of um, importance. But I have uh, a summary of some of the important um, DCs for the region. So I have a navigation DC. And in the patchwork greens, it's a very flat, open place with nothing to obstruct your views. So the DC is 10. And it's got a short description. Reasonably flat terrain with little to obstruct your view of the surroundings, landmarks, or sky. So it's really easy to navigate there. And this means that when PCs are trying to move through the area and I ask them to make a navigation check as they move from one hex to another, someone in the party is going to make a wisdom survival roll against a DC 10. Now, if they fail that roll, we're going to roll in the lost in the patchwork green table, but we're going to get to that soon. I've also got an evasion DC. In, in the patchwork green, it's 14. If 
by the same token um, as the fact that the area is flat and um, unobstructed, there's not much cover to find. So it's actually reasonably hard to find a hiding spot in the patchwork green. I've got a forage DC. In this case, it's 10 because there's plenty of streams and wells and irrigation ditches to find water. And also there's plenty of uh, livestock or um, crops or um, game for you to capture and eat. So those are the, the three main DCs that I've actually put a number to. And over after playing my hex crawl for mm, several months now, I've pretty much come to the decision to have a regional DC. So the regional DC for the patchwork greens is uh, 12. So it's pretty easy to do anything in the patchwork greens. And if, if the players are trying to achieve something um, in the patchwork green or in a dungeon below it or in some kind of encounter um, on the patchwork green and they ask me, can I do this? My response is, give me a DC 12 strength athletics check. Pretty much everything's DC 12 um, in the patchwork green. And I've been a little bit tempted by the idea of removing the individual DCs for foraging, um, evasion, and navigation, and just re replacing them with a blanket DC of DC 12, um, or even possibly I'd replace it with an even easier DC of DC 10. Anything in the patchwork greens is a DC 10 to achieve. Now, this gives us the idea that the patchwork green is a safe, reasonably safe area, a simple area. Um, everything you do is not necessarily as hurried or as, as much under pressure as it might be in other regions. And the patchwork green in my map or, um, of the world is right adjacent to their starting safe place. So we've got the idea that this is an easy area for level one, two, maybe th level three characters to adventure around without getting into too much trouble. Next on the, uh, on the gazetteer, I've got some movement costs. So in the patchwork green, it's very quick to move around and uh, you can leave your hex that you're in and move to the adjacent hex at the cost of uh, six movement points. You can leave the hex with stealth for nine movement points. So leaving with the hex uh, with stealth is gonna give your party the opportunity if they do encounter wandering monsters um, to have surprise advantage or possibly sneak away before the monsters even notice you. You can leave the hit the haste with leave the hexed with haste. That only costs three movement points. But if you leave with haste, um, you're putting a, yourself a in a position where your um, passive perception is going to be at a minus five. You're not going to be able to forage. Um, it's unlikely that if you roll a random encounter with monsters that you're going to have any chance to um, avoid them or hide from them. And lastly, we've got the cost to search a hex. Now, it costs in the uh, patchwork green nine movement points to search the hex. Um, and it doesn't cost much to search the hex in the patchwork green because it's mostly flat and you just have to find one small hillock and you can see a big chunk of it. You can see that um, making regional gazetteers for more difficult uh, regions becomes really easier when you've got this framework because you just start uh, doing things like making the navigation DC higher or making the cost from moving from one hex to another higher. 
uh, to start kind of slowing the players down and making simple things more difficult. Increasing the regional DC is also what I do. So those are some of the real starter things that we need for the, the region. And then I've got a few tables. Um, I've got my lost in the patchwork green table. So if when you move into the hex, you fail uh, your navigation role, your wisdom survival role, then you're going to roll on the lost in the patchwork green table. Now, getting lost in the patchwork green isn't too bad. It's a reasonably safe place. Um, but you might find when you roll on that table that uh, one of the worst things that can happen to, to you is that you've uh, wandered into an ambush site. And I'm going to, as the DM, roll uh, wandering on the wandering monster table. And not only are you going to encounter those monsters, but they set themselves up in a good position uh, to surprise you and uh, take advantage of you. Otherwise, it might be just as simple as, you know, you have to backtrack around um, a stream or a river, or you might have to navigate along a river to find a good ford, and it costs you a th three additional movement points. So it just soaks up a little bit, bit of your time. Um, but you can have all sorts of fun things happen to the characters when they get lost. I also have a hazards of the patchwork green table. So if um, when I roll on the hex contents for a hex in the patchwork green, if I come up with a hazard, I'm going to roll on this table. Now, hazards can be things like um, an, a swollen stream that they must find a way to cross. Um, or in this case, some of the things I've got um, is they bump into a talkative old lady and uh, she's going to keep you there all day gossiping with you, with you if she can. And so the party loses another three movement points. So they lose time uh, talking to this old lady, but they do get one rumor out of the, um, out of the encounter. So they can roll on the rumor table. Uh, what else have I got here? Oh, this one here, they bump into um, the farmer's, and on a one to three, it's a buxom daughter, or in a four to six, it's the farmer's shirtless son. And if the party fails um, a DC 12 charisma saving roll, then they lose three movement points. So if some uh, the majority of the party is a little bit attracted uh, to this either young lady or young man, then the party loses time chatting and flirting with that person. So I've included some like social hazards um, on the patchwork greens, whereas in some of my other regions, um, the hazards are a lot um, nastier. I think one of the hazards in the forest area I've got is monkeys trying to steal all your stuff. Um, or in the shattered hills, uh, you've got landslides um, and things like that to deal with. So we've got the hazards table. We've got the wandering monster table. So if on the hex contents table, I roll that they're going to encounter a monster. Now I roll on the wandering monster table. And this table, in, in this case, is a 2d6 table. And uh, on the lower numbers are some NPCs um, and possibly people that are going to be helpful. And then uh, through the later numbers, you've got some bandits and some wolves and some goblets, goblins. And even uh, on a 12, a chimera, the possibility of encountering something quite uh, strong in the region. So you, you stock this wandering monster table with encounters that um, express more about the region. You know, and this is a pretty, um, 
pretty benign table because again they're in an easy area so they're you know there's about a 50 percent chance they're going to meet someone who's uh, helpful to them um, not even a threat at all and even those most of the threats that they can um, roll on the table are pretty low level like you know 1d4 walls is probably not going to be too much of a challenge to the party and in fact you know it might be a chance to tame a wolf and, and find an ally and then I've also got and this is something I've taken from Mike Merles's uh, regional gazetteer and changed a little bit and what I think is quite a elegant solution. I'm sure I'm not the first person to made up, make up this solution, but I'm pretty proud of it. In Mike Mills's uh, regional gazetteer, he's got a, a table for rolling um, tactical terrain for any encounter. And it's a series of percentile rolls. And so there, you might roll a percentile and there's a 50% chance that there's a scattering of trees. So there might be 2d4 plus two trees. You roll a percentile dice again, and if you get a 25% chance that there's also some boulders scattered around the area, um, and they can be rolled down the hill, um, causing one of the enemies to have to make a DC 10 a dexterity saving throw or take 2d6 bludgeoning damage. So this is the idea that you can roll a series of percentile rolls um, to build up an idea of what's there. So there's a 10% roll a D100 again, there's a 10% chance that there's a waterway, um, like a river or something nearby. Um, so you can have a series of these D100 rolls to build up a sense of the terrain around you. Some of it's mechanically useful um, and has stats and DCs associated with it. Some of it's purely descriptive. And I love that idea, except I don't want to roll percentile dice five or six times to determine what what the terrain, tactical terrain is. So I had this idea, you roll 2d6, and you're not only looking at the, res, the result in terms of adding the two dice together, but you're also looking at the result in terms of what each dice represents. So uh, I'll read this example out to you, and, and hopefully you'll get the idea, but I also recommend that you go to my blog. Um, it's in the show notes. And in my blog, I'm going to post a couple of my gazetteers so you can see how this stuff works on a table. So I've got my tactical terrain uh, for the patchwork greens, and it's a 2d6 table. And it notes at the top that the, the patchwork greens is always flat. And then I've got, on the result of a snake eyes, there's a small village with 2d6 buildings. Only the church is made of stone. So that's implying that everything else is basically wooden and you can set it on fire. But buildings also mean places to take cover or go inside. On a doubles, uh, there's a rutted track. They crisscross the land. So you, you realize straight away that if you roll a snake eyes, which is double ones, not only is there a village, but there's a track. On a seven, which is the, which is the result adding the two dice together, you have found a farmstead, and there's 1d6 buildings that could be used for cover, uh, or defense. Now again, you can roll um, the next on the table is a six. So if you either one of the dice is a six, then you look at the, the other dice and if it's one to three, there's tall crops in the area. Or if there's a four to six, there's a milling herd of beasts that can provide cover, so cattle or something like that. And you can use a, 
an evasion DC to use that cover to escape. So you can see that a seven, as a result, can be made up of rolling a six and a one, which means not only is there a farmstead with 1d6 buildings, but there's also some crops or herds, depending on what you've rolled. If you get a two on either dice, there's a, you look at the second dice, if it's one to three, there's a small river. If it's a four to six, there's a large river. So by rolling 2d6 and looking at the various combinations of either the total of what's rolled or what's on an individual dice plus what's next to it, you can get um, two or three interesting things about the terrain that the um, characters are on with just one roll of the dice instead of rolling percentile for each of those. Um, so I really, really like that. I also have a tactical range. So if you, in this case on the um, Patrick Greens, it's 1d6 times 100 feet. So because it's such a flat terrain, any encounter with a wandering monster, there's a good chance you've spotted them two, three, four, five hundred feet away. If though, you're surprised in an ambush or um, if you're moving with haste or something like that, it may only be 1d6 times 10 feet. I also note um, for myself that um, if the players defeat um, some wandering monsters, they're going to get a chance to roll on the individual treasure um, table from the Dungeon Master's Guide, challenge rating 0 to, th zero to 3 to 4. But also, if they defeat a wandering monster in its lair, then they're allowed to roll on the um, treasure hoard challenge rating 0 through to 4 in the Dungeon Master's Guide. And here we get to something quite interesting for players of D&D. Uh, they may not be very familiar with the idea of a lair. Now, when you roll on the hex contents table, you might roll that their players encounter a lair. At which point you roll on the wandering monster table to see the layer of what type of monster. So for example, if I rolled a nine on my wandering monster table, which says 1d4 walls, I would look at my list of layers and see, okay, I've got a note here about the, the layer of a wolf of wolves. And it says a series of 1d6 tunnel openings dot the area and dirt tracks leading in and out of the, the area in many directions. The wolves know this area well and can attempt to escape as a bonus action without suffering attacks of opportunity. So now I roll a 1d4, maybe I get a 3. So I say there's, I know for myself there's 3 wolves. I roll a 1d6, I get 5. There's five you, I tell those players that if they come into a, an area, I roll a terrain type. Um, you know, maybe it's a, just there's a farmstead nearby. It's 200 meters, 200 feet away. Uh, there's, you see an area with five small burrows or openings um, in it and a series of tracks leading away from it. What do you do? I might also roll the reaction of the wolves and um, maybe the reaction is they're, they're aggressive. So now a wolf, um, wolves run out from the, some of the various holes in the ground and start attacking the party. Now, that's how it would work in my game, but to describe layers to a fifth edition dungeon master, you will probably be familiar with the idea of a layer from the monster manual. Only some selected monsters in the monster manual have a layer, and a layer might have associated with it layer actions and more descriptions about 
how that monster lives. Uh, and there might be um, abilities or uh, saving throws and things like that that the players might have to, to make if they meet that uh, monster in its lair. And, uh, but that they, don't, they don't have a lair for every monster in the monster manual. So you might have to make some up, but they can be very simple. And uh, you know, you don't have to figure out um, all the details of what a layer looks like. You can just use your imagination on the spot. Um, so I've got something for bandits here as another layer. Um, so if you roll bandits on my wandering monster table, you're going to meet a bandit captain and 1d6 bandits. And it says here for his layer, for their layer, uh, bandits, there's a campsite. It's untidy and it's stinking. Uh, if the bandits are in camp, which is you roll a 1d6 on a 1 to 2, they're in camp, they don't sit even set a watch. But if they're not in camp on a 4 to 6, there's always one bandit at the camp cooking. So you come across an untidy campsite, uh, there's a 2 out of 6 chance that all the bandits are there, but there's also a, a, um, small a, a large chance that actually only one bandit's at the camp, he's cooking their meal while they're out and about doing something else. You could roll on the um, the table uh, that says what the monsters are doing. So their activity, maybe they're hunting. So three or four bandits are out hunting. One is left at camp um, as the cook. He's over the cook pot. And now the party can decide what they're going to do. Are they going to wait in ambush? They're going to go and make friends with the cook and you know pay him to let them eat some of his food? Or they're going to wait and see what happens and what the bandits do when they come back? Maybe when you roll on the activity for what the bandits are doing, um, uh, they are maybe yes they're hunting so they might bring back food and then you ambush them to get their food but just so happens that on my wandering monster table to roll bandits you're rolling an eight and you can potentially get an eight by rolling doubles so when you roll doubles on a wandering monster table you roll on the wandering monster table of the um, adjacent region and then there's then there's something happening in between those two groups of monsters and you roll on their relationship. So in this case, you might roll double fours. You've met a bandit, uh, you've found a bandit's lair. You roll on the, the neighboring region and say, um, you're right in the middle of the patchwork green. So you roll again on the same uh, wandering monster table and you find, you get a six, which is a family of settlers. You roll on the relationship uh, that enslavement one group's enslaved another that's a five on the relationship table and so you come to this camp there's there's a cook in there the rest of the um bandits are gone and now you think we're going to wait the party thinks we're going to wait and see what happens when the other bandits come back well the under other bandits come back uh, several hours later and uh, behind them roped together is a family of settlers what are you going to do? So um, again, Lear's just working uh, with all the other random tables to create amazing variety of gameplay um, out of combining four, five, six tables together to get basically an infinite number of opportunities for role-playing and gameplay. And that's why I'm in love with playing hex crawls and using region gazetteers because I do so little preparation for games, it's not funny. 
Now, the last thing I have um, with my region gazetteer is underneath that region gazetteer in my little folder is a stack of maybe, this stack's quite big because it's a big region. I've got about 10 or 12 um, encounter areas or adventure locales because again, on the hex contents table, you may roll that they find an adventure locale. So I've got a series of one page dungeons uh, that I have stocked uh, quite simply. I have got um, some purchased um, short encounters uh, from the Dungeon Masters Guild, um, some from the Tome of Encounters. Uh, there's also some wilderness encounters uh, from another, another author. And I've got a stack of those for the region so that if they roll, or if I roll that they encounter a um, adventure locale, I look at my stack and I think, oh, there's about a dozen pieces of paper in there or a dozen, dozen encounters. I'll roll a d12. If I get a five, I'll rifle through the stack till I get the fit to the fifth piece of, piece of paper, pull it out. Hooray, it's a random um, one-page dungeon. Now we play this one-page dungeon. So a whole session can revolve around the party um, leaving the town, having a couple of interesting encounters. Um, maybe they're so interesting in terms of, say, uh, rescuing the um, settlers' family from the bandits that by the time they've dealt with the bandits, saved the family and helped the family, that might you know they might be ready to return to the uh, the town, feeling really good about themselves, and that's the end of the session. Or they may continue on, encounter a, ra a random um, locale, clear out a small dungeon, then return to town. Finally, I have a couple of specially made dungeons or adventure locations that are not random, that if you go to a specific hex, um, you're going to find this specific encounter. And you may already, it may already be marked on the hex map, so it may be, might be a location that you are um, going to intentionally, um, or it may be hidden. Once you get to that hex, um, there's a good chance that you're going to stumble upon something that I've intentionally created um to drive the story forward or to really drive home a theme or an idea that i want to have um, quite strong in that region so that's the um the basic contents of a region gazetteer um, for my game and pretty much i've now covered all the resources i think that i use in my hex call i'm going to continue making more episodes kind of fleshing out some of these ideas and talking more about how to play and um, good stuff you can do along with these resources to make amazing games. But I just want to remind you that if you look in the um, episode notes, you'll find the address of my blog where these tables and um, gazetteers will be available for you to look at. You're more than welcome to uh, copy and use uh, some of these ideas wholesale, but I'm sure they're going to get your mind working about how you can make simple tables for yourself for your own regions. And I'd really recommend it because it's so easy and fun to do um, and means just so much le less preparation in the long-term future. So give it a go. Enjoy yourselves. Have fun at the table. Remember, it's a game. It's about having fun and having a laugh with your friends. So go and do it, and I'll see you back here sometime soon.